Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. And a big thanks to longtime sponsor of this program and this podcast, the Dunlap Champions Club. Obviously, as I speak, we don't know what football season is going to look like. And like most things associated with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, there are plenty of questions and not necessarily answers. So this is what I'd like you to do. Whenever we get some more clarity about football season, know this. The Dunlap Champions Club will have a plan. It's a great venue to take in football if spectators are going to be allowed this fall or whenever football season kicks off. There's shade, there's food, there's access to adult beverages if so inclined, and you can believe that they'll have as solid a plan as anything uh, involved at Doak Campbell Stadium in terms of keeping things sanitized as uh, we try to play this football season. So that said, thanks again for their longtime support of this program. I encourage you, if you have questions or want uh, some answers as to what the plan might look like, call 644-1830, option 1, for more information or to schedule a tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. Keith, good to have you back in the saddle for a full show today. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Although, as we've been discussing, all of a sudden the emotions are going up and then they're going down and they're going up and they're going down. What? What? Are we getting near a football season? What's going on? Well, we're getting near football practice, that's for sure. Florida State will have a virtual press conference tomorrow with Coach Norvell. You know, at, at some point, we're just going to play the game via Zoom, right? Could every player just just conference in and we'll play the games that way? Let me tell you, while I was on my little trip that necessitated you taking over last week, I'm sitting in an establishment to be named later, or not at all, and I look up on the ESPN News channel on the big screen TV in this particular place, and you know what they're, what they're showing? A video game. Two people playing each other. You know, I don't know if it was the Saints versus the Bears. I don't know what it was. But it was two people playing a video game on ESPN News. There's where we've gone to. Just to clarify for the sake of our listeners, Keith was not in Atlanta last week at an establishment that serves chicken wings that gets visited by NBA players, apparently. Just to set Carry the out only. Carry out only. Just to set the record straight on that, however, should our audience want to know. So anyway, virtual press conference tomorrow with Coach Norvell. Team uh, gets started on Friday. So it would appear, not just appear, we're, we're zooming straight ahead into this. Now, how long that remains the case remains to be seen. But I do think, Keith, that here's, here's a couple of the, the biggest takeaway on where we've landed with the conferences. And I'm going to pull this out and look at it so I have it. Uh, in in front of me. When this started, there was a lot of talk about solidarity and how the conferences need to to make decisions together. And they met and appeared to be on the same page. And then ultimately, everybody's doing something different. So the SEC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12, well, they're conference only, 10 games apiece. The Big Ten starting the normal week one, Thursday, uh, September 3rd. The Pac-12 and the SEC starting at the end of September. Not to correct you, but isn't the Big 12 non-conference games plus one non-conference? Yeah, I may have misspoke there. The SEC, the Big 10, and the Pac-12 are all 10 conference and none. I hadn't gotten to the ACC and the Big 12 yet. The Big 12 is nine conference games and one non-con, and the ACC is the only group in the Power Five that's opting to play 11 games as we sit here right now. So they all have different start dates. The point, the larger point here is it was every man for himself – as it always is when the conferences get together. They're, they're five power brokers, and they all make their own decisions. <clears throat> and by the way, you, you glossed over it, but I think our listeners need to know, the Big Ten's going to start on or before September 3. <clears throat> Pardon me, the ACC on or before September 7. Pac-12 and SEC are going to start September 26, but the Big 12 hasn't announced yet when they're going to start. As we're recording. So yes, agreement amongst everyone. So let's go to the ACC thing. We didn't. We kind of glossed over this last week. Uh, the schedule news broke right before Front Row Knowles in terms of the uh, import, the uh, 
opponents. We still don't know the the dates as you and I talk right now. September 7th is Labor Day night. So when the ACC says it's going to start on September 7th, that's actually two different game weeks. So they're going to put one game September 7th, which is Labor Day night in the ABC window. And I heard some talking that, you know, maybe that's a Notre Dame home game. It won't be a Notre Dame home game because that's an NBC property. But it would not surprise me at all if that's a Notre Dame road game to get the audience. And Notre Dame is scheduled to play at North Carolina this year. That could very well be the conference opener. You've got a, a team from the Tar Heel State make the ACC happy, and you've got the draw of Notre Dame. But then you get to September 8th, which is the next week of the season, technically week two, and, and they, they put in there all those dates. I don't know what windows the ACC is trying to grab, but with some other conferences potentially not playing, uh, maybe there's, there's other nights that you want to play. But bottom line for Florida State, their first game, um, I'm next to certain, will be September 12th. And it's Samford is going to be their non-conference opponent, from what I'm hearing, uh, which was who they already had a guarantee with. It'll solve them from save them from having to get their way out of that contract. And it will but either they can't be play Samford, Tommy, because uh, the non-conference has to be a team in your same state. No, it has to. I see. I made that mistake last week. It has to be played in your home state. It can be anybody, but it has to be played in the ACC's home state. Well, that's not the way it was reported by some outlets. Let's just put it. That well, way. I, I was one of them last week. But, no, I'm told that Samford is what they're looking at, and the Samford game will be either be the 12th as originally scheduled or the 19th, which is the next Saturday. We'll see if that comes to fruition, but that's going to be the plus one for FSU. The reason it wouldn't stay on the 12th is the ACC is trying to front load the schedule with more of its marquee games, I think, and that makes sense, too, because you don't know when these games are going to get canceled. If you play week one, who knows what week two is going to look like. So I think there is a chance that that week one is a bigger name opponent for FSU, not necessarily at home. Well, and I've also heard, read, who knows who's correct, that the reason that they went 7 through 12 when they made the announcement of opening up the season is you could very well have the Monday night game. You could have a Thursday night game. You could have a Friday night game. And you could have multiple games on Saturday, all kicking off the season. Well, and that was my point about when they say that, the ACC might as well take over the the TV inventory there because the SEC – uh, is not starting a much later. The Pac-12 is not starting a much later. So that's 40% of the Power Five that doesn't even have inventory for the first few weeks. The other thing the ACC needs to do regarding Notre Dame, and we can talk about Notre Dame here briefly, but the fact that they're in the conference this year, they need to leverage every Notre Dame road game, i.e. put it on the ACC network, just just do as much as they can, really try to try to work the carriage deal with Comcast for the ACC network. So I would advocate for putting those games there. Uh, as far as one of the popular questions that's out there, Keith, should the ACC have forced Notre Dame's hand and, and, and said, no, you can't be in just this year, you got to be all in, period. I think it's easy to say that until you do the math on uh, on the fact that Notre Dame could very well just walk away and what that would mean to the other league schools. But where do you sit on that issue, stand on that issue? Well, it's it's the proverbial carrot versus the stick, you know, holding their feet to the fire and saying we're not going to do anything in 2020 unless you commit to joining either immediately or at some time in the future, you know, is the stick. The carrot, as we've talked about, is – let them see, let their fan base see what it means to play in the ACC. Potentially, if they do well, an opportunity to play in a championship game, which Notre Dame has never played in before, and see how that helps them as it relates to qualifying for the uh, playoffs, if at all. And then after the fact, approaching them about, now, now that you've seen what we look like, let's sit down and talk about what together we would look like. Here's the math I was talking about, and I think that's the play and that's where it is. And then you have the the subplot of, well, there already was an agreement, and now in the middle of a pandemic you're going to try to force somebody's hand, which is not a real gentleman way to, to handle that. But uh, some would do it that way, clearly. Uh, it's not how Swafford and the ACC did it. We don't know definitively, but really when you look at the TV revenue and how it spiked – Spiked is a bad word for the ACC because they're at the bottom of the list – how it has grown over the years – the math is that it looks like every ACC school is getting about $3 million more per year for the five games Notre Dame is playing. So over the last five or six years, that's $15 million to FSU. And Notre Dame is in uh, can't join another conference until 35 or 36. 
So you've got another 15, 16 years times 3 million. That's 48 million. So you can tell Notre Dame all in or not, but you got to be prepared for every school to lose 50 million potentially going forward. And I am 100% certain that the ACC network would not exist without Notre Dame in it. So if Notre Dame takes its inventory away, that network probably goes away. However, the reverse of that is also true. You do not have an opportunity to renegotiate your contract until 2025 or 2026, whatever that date is, unless you expand the conference. You expand the conference with Notre Dame, you have an opportunity to sit down with the networks and would the addition on a permanent basis with the additional, what would that be, seven games potentially, is that more than the $15 million that's being split this year between the 15 schools based on the NBC contract? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not privy to those negotiations, but there is a lot of complexity to it. Yeah, there is. I just don't think it's as simple as saying, well, they should have made Notre Dame join for forever. The reality is when Florida State was exploring conferences in the early 90s or late 80s, if FSU's name brand was enough that it could stand on its own and do what Notre Dame's doing and have its own TV network and not be in a conference, guess what? FSU would have done that and they'd still be doing it. And Notre Dame is really the only school that fits in that bucket that can do it on their own. And maybe by playing in a conference, they'll figure out that they like it. Uh, I, I'm not optimistic about that. I think they'll return to their independent ways after this. But to the larger point there about TV contracts, I do think one thing that we've seen over the last few weeks, every school for himself, it's, it has uh, certainly confirmed what we already knew, that there, there needs to be a commissioner or there needs to be better structure for these Power 5 schools. And I also think that we're really at the point where there's going to be some forced change out of this. Maybe we do thin the herd a little bit. Maybe there's not 130 FBS schools when we get said with this. Maybe we do get to the four super conferences or five and we trim the fat. I heard the headlines guys talking about this. I think that's coming along with an expansion of the playoff uh, because what's very clear, Keith, is that football is such a different animal than every other sport out there. And it's yet it's so key to funding every other sport out there. And then you start the complication of individual school decisions. And I'm not by any means suggesting that this particular institution needs to be included in anything, but it was just announced this morning that UConn is not going to play football in 2020. Right. And, and I'm sure we've seen some FBS schools. We've seen some division one and two. I think the NCAA is going to make some announcements on that here directly, but UConn has self-selected to not play. What does that mean? if there is some form of realignment going forward. I have no idea. It's just another part of the puzzle. Now, another part of the puzzle that we haven't mentioned is that the players are using what leverage they have at this point to fight for more rights. The Pac-12 had a group come out over the weekend, made a lot of demands or asked for a lot of things. Some of them are easy putts. Some of them are never going to happen, most notably uh, a 50% revenue split on the football. So, I mean, to do that, you'd have to cancel every other sport in the Pac-12 to give the players half the revenue. Uh, today, the Big Ten has a similar group that's come out. So I would suggest that it's probably a matter of time till the ACC and the other conferences have their own players groups doing the same thing. Well, two, two points. Number one, we talked about when the NIL discussion was being had a year, 18 months ago, that there would be unintended consequences. We were talking about things like recruiting and, you know, someone sitting in a locker and being mad because someone else is driving a newer car. My personal opinion is this is another unintended consequences consequence. And we've entered into that slippery slope. And you've got to remember right, wrong, or indifferent. I've raised three of them. You got two that'll get there one time or another. But when you start kowtowing to the demands of 18 to 22-year-olds, you have set yourself up for something that will never be closed. That door will remain open. And it's the definition of Pandora's box, my opinion. Well, clearly when you gotta play when you play poker, you gotta you gotta trust your hand and know when to play the cards, right? And so that's what the players think they're doing or, or are doing. I would suggest that some concessions are going to go their way. I don't see how you get there on the revenue front. I mean, to get there on the revenue – now, if you're the colleges, the the answer is if the players are going to hold firm on wanting 50% of the revenue, 
the college athletic departments can just close up shop now. And now there's no college football and there's no way for these guys to get to the NFL. So you got to be careful what you ask for there. Um, you know, the school of thought on the NCAA regarding NIL is that had they actually gotten in front of something for a change, which they never do and they didn't there, i.e. had they worked to craft this NIL legislation five years ago, maybe we wouldn't be here and with the players demanding revenue. Maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. But, well, and based on what I'm reading or hearing, again, I'm not in the room, but the draft that the NCAA has submitted to a couple of the senators that were sponsoring things, and of course the testimony that occurred during one of the committees, basically the NCAA, in addition to pissing off its member schools, is now pissed off Congress. Uh, and that's never a good thing. Uh, so, I, you know, that that is a sub-issue to the COVID-19 and what are we doing in the 2020 season and that type of thing. But we need to remember that that, that ugly, ugly little thing is going to raise its head as appropriate. And uh, there'll be another huge issue that we have to address and deal with. Well, so we're just as muddied as we were, even though we're less than uh, 36 hours away from FSU reporting for foot and starting football practice, Keith. But we're excited. We're excited. We're excited. I actually do like the schedule a lot. I haven't seen how it lays out, but I like where the ACC landed on this. I hope we get to play the games. I'm sure getting to 11 is going to be next to impossible in this climate, but We'll chew on that and more. We'll get more specific to FSU instead of all this uh, bureaucracy talk. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking NCAA and Congress and everything, way more than you and I would, would like to do on this show over the last several weeks. So, Without question. Yeah, so maybe we can talk uh, football a little bit with our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrani, when he joins us right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. And we are joined by our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, who joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Mr. Ferrante, how are you, sir? Doing well. How are you guys? We're doing great. Just another week. We thought we'd have the schedule in hand, and here we are. Calendar t- ticks deeper into August. Tick, tick, tick. Still don't know. What you got? <laughs> I think we still have some uncertainty, unfortunately, and I, I think a lot of it's going to revolve around you know the non-conference opponent and the ACC trying to line all those up for every school. You know, I, it feels like it's still going to be Samford. You know, the agreement is in place to play Samford at four hundred fifty thousand dollars. Samford clearly would like that money, and I think Florida State knows it needs an opponent. It's one that makes sense, especially if you can line up the testing for the Samford players. You know, similar to the ACC guidelines, so. I think that one makes sense, but you know, clearly it's going to take some time for the ACC to line something up on a week, week by week basis for all the schools. You know, one of the things that jumped out at me when the opponents were announced, of course, we don't know days and times, but there's not a single away game that Florida State can play that they can bust to. I mean, it's five airplane trips. And so whatever considerations were potentially given for that seem to have at least not played out in Florida State's favor. You know, I think that's the challenge of, of the landscape of the ACC, the, the distance between Tallahassee and a lot of other schools, and just an unfortunate deal where you've got Georgia Tech and Clemson. You know, your your two closest schools are coming to Tallahassee, which which can be a great thing if very much we're so. see, very much if we're so. going to see fans in the stands, and we certainly hope that that twenty five percent or or maybe even more can be in the stands. That's a great thing for travel. Yeah, it's it's a real challenge. I don't know how this is going to all play out. I'm I'm very hopeful that, you know, we, we get deep into the schedule and we can play a lot of college football and do it safely, but it just doesn't really work out very well in Florida State's favor, whereas other schools did have, you know, some some easier bus trip, you know, pieces of their schedule. I think that's a beneath-the-radar component of the ACC geography that really adversely affects FSU that we don't talk about a lot. And that is the simple economics and cost savings that the 
Carolina schools, Virginia and Clemson have because of their proximity. And this is not just for football and not just in a COVID year. This is just across the board. When I used to travel with FSU baseball, for example, FSU goes to play North Carolina. They're chartering a plane. They've got a bus up there. They're paying hotel costs for three nights. Duke comes to play Carolina. They're chartering a bus for the day and they're staying in their own beds. And so when you look at that cost savings, it's huge. It's a huge benefit for those schools. Related to this year, I did wonder when they went to sort of this, you know, there's not divisions and they didn't call them pods, but they tried to put the the, clo- the schools in close proximity to let them play each other. So all the Carolina schools are playing each other this year. Well, they ought to pool the football expenses because they stuck FSU now with one more charter airline trip. And it's not just FSU. It's all the further, more distant remote schools, Miami, Notre Dame, Syracuse, I mean, if you wanted to be equitable about it, which is one of the big reasons you're in a conference, you ought to look at your travel expenses and split that evenly across the board so that it's not FSU spending five times more than what Duke is to play the same amount of road games. Right. And it's about, you know, 75,000, 100,000 per charter flight, you know, especially for those long distance flights. And when I was doing that story a few months back, looking at scheduling by geography, something that we were encouraging because it's a huge cost savings measure if you can pull it off. You know, those are the numbers that Florida State provided to us. If you're taking a flight to a, you know, a Notre Dame, for example, and obviously Syracuse is, is not an option this year, but that's what the cost is depending on jet fuel to, you know, to get a plane just, just to get there and back. And as you're saying, not counting, you know, buses and hotels and such. So, yeah, it would be a good thing to look forward to in the future. I think the ACC can do some things to alleviate that. Um, and as a reminder, you know, Florida State's travel budget for teams for recruiting, it's about $9 million a year. So there are definite ways where you can find some savings by scheduling based on geography. There are some savings if you pool your resources, too. Um, it's unfortunate it didn't work out this year. I think it's something that's really worth considering down the road for sure even if they just stopped at the airline charters and buses and didn't want to get into the, you know, deep in the weeds about catered meals and hotels and and try to legislate all that. But it's definitely an area where Florida state comes up on the, on the short end of the stick. Well, Bob, last week when we chatted, we, you and I had about 10 minutes to dissect the schedule and uh, kind of react to it. And so now that you've had a week to to think about it, now that we have the news confirmed that FSU and Florida are not going to play, uh, what, what's your bigger picture thoughts on the schedule overall? I love the schedule. It's, it's incredibly challenging. And I think, you know, a lot of people have said, well, the ACC didn't do FSU any favors and made it much tougher. And I think that's, that's a fair point, but you know, you also want to play the best schools in the conference year in and year out. And that's, that's what Florida state has done, you know, since what, 1992, 93, you know, is, is play these schools and, and be competitive. I'm very happy to see a lot of these typical coastal programs, you know, coming to Tallahassee and force has a chance to go play some of those too. So yes, do you maybe look at it on paper and without having a week by week look at it, you start to pencil in, well, that's a W that's an L and maybe there's a few more L's than you thought, but this is a building block year for Mike Norvell. I think you want to kind of measure yourself against the conference see where you stack up and, and recruits want to see that too. How do you stack up against schools? Cause if, if you're a recruit, you're considering a Florida state or a Clemson or, or somebody else in the SEC, you want to see, you know, is, is Florida state kind of on the way back toward that, um, that respectability. Forgive me if y'all talked about it last week, cause I wasn't a part of that conversation, but the biggest thing about no divisions for me, and I'm being very, very optimistic here, I understand, <clears throat> but you can still lose to Clemson and play in the ACC championship game. You cannot do that when you're in division play. And uh, I realize that's a stretch, and that's probably too big of, a, of an ask for the 2020 football team, but at least at the opportunities there. Bob brought it up last week. You know, the lo- a loss doesn't count twice, and that is a good thing. And right now I think everybody's enamored with the no divisions and the idea of doing it this way, I think we'll like it. And, and a lot are already saying, boy, it'd be nice to just do this going forward. 
which is good until you get the rematch of Wake Forest, Boston College, or, or, or you know, or you get that in the championship game. The same games that laid an egg that forced the championship game to Charlotte to begin with could still happen, though it's less likely, I would say. I love it in general. I know a lot of people try to come up with different pods and how do you do a northern division, maybe a north, central, and south, and come up with three divisions. And I think those are all great proposals. But in the end, I love the concept of whether you call it one division or, or no division. It just gives you the opportunity where so many more schools are in it late in the year and competing for a shot to be in the championship game. And yeah, you have to figure Clemson's going to be one of those two teams. But then it really does open it up to just about anybody. Let's say, let's say it's Florida State, Notre Dame, North Carolina. Um, could be a Virginia Tech, could be, who knows? It, it could be a, a very bizarre season, but it, I think it makes it much more interesting for players and, then of course, for fans too. My biggest thing is, and we've talked about this, is I do believe you need permanent partners. I mean, FSU-Miami needs to play every year, and maybe FSU-Clemson, I don't know. But by having the rotating schedule and not the divisions – you can tell a kid you're going to get to play every team in the ACC. You're not playing Georgia Tech every fifth or sixth year, and someone can go their complete career without playing them at all. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, in Florida State's case, ideally you want to play, what, Miami, Georgia Tech, Clemson every year and then build the rest of the schedule around that. Maybe, as you say, you do have some kind of permanent partners. I, I think the whole, you know, Florida State not playing Georgia Tech was was kind of, crazy to me because if the goal is to get people out of their living rooms and away from their massive TV sets and to get them to stadiums, which in a normal year, that's a discussion. It's about putting together matchups that people want to see and want to go to and going to that game in Tallahassee or Atlanta is really the kind of circle the date on the calendar or save it on your iPhone or whatever. It's what everybody wants is those kind of games so we have to figure out how to be very creative. And I think, again, the excitement about the sports state schedule is, wow, there are so many opponents that we didn't think we were going to get a chance to play for years. And now all of a sudden, that's a reality right now. It's kind of hard to be upset about fumbling the ball going into score against an opponent when you only play them every five or six years. Yeah, that's definitely an upside to doing away with the divisions, the point that you guys raised there. Bob, I think a good thing, and Keith and I talked about this in the first segment, things have been so off the rails this year that it's forced conversations and decisions that would never happen if it was status quo. So we would not be in a let's play the season without divisions in the ACC if it weren't for the pandemic. Uh, now, some of them are hard decisions. Some schools are having to eliminate sports. But, I mean, we're all realizing how much overspending goes on in college athletics and how critical football is to the success of the whole operation. We're realizing how great the divide is between Power Five and Group of Five. And so all these things, uh, I think, are going to lead to some significant change over the next few years. At least I would hope we don't just revert back to the to the way it's been. But here's another opportunity for change, at least for one year. So what are we going to do with this FSU-Florida game? Bob, I know in terms of this year, you've already advocated, hey, set up a bowl matchup. And certainly that could be a possibility if FSU's bowl eligible. If Florida's not in the playoff, then just there, there's a billion bowl games in the state of Florida. I'm sure most of them would, would do away with their conference tie-ins. And that, I don't know that those are suspended for this year, but I would think they might be if you can even get to a bowl scenario to play them. But what about next year? This is my more the, – the bigger question. FSU will be scheduled to go to Florida, and I think we talked about this a little bit last week, Bob. Now, they could do that and keep things status quo, which means that FSU would have played in, at Florida in 19, didn't play in 20, played at Florida in 21, and you've gone between 2018 and 2022 without having the Gators in Tallahassee. If you try to draw the line and flip it and say, no, we want the Gators to come to Tallahassee next year, well, that you can do that too. But then you have the Gators in Miami on the home schedule in the same year, which hurts the selling season tickets efforts. So my workaround is sort of like your bowl game proposal. We need to get the Gator Bowl or Orlando or, you know, or uh, Gary Stoken up in Atlanta who lost a lot of big games this year. 
and, and set it as a non-conference preseason game with a guaranteed payout, which would benefit both schools, and put it on the schedule next year, and then just resume going to Gainesville after that. But what do you think? And Keith, you weigh in on that too. You played in the game, four and zero, I might add. I, I kind of like that proposal. I'm not a big fan of of readjusting the you know the site of the FSU Florida game purely because these schedules are made out as far as um, for the next decade, literally as far as LSU and Georgia and Alabama and who's playing who, where, who's playing on a neutral site. It's set up in a a methodology of you need to sell season tickets and have attractive games for fans. So I like the concept of going neutral next year. Um, That's, I, I think that's, that's probably the best solution that I've heard so far. I would concur. Uh, I do think that we have a little bit of uh, help in that uh, the ACC controls the schedule. So if you did uh, have to have a change with Miami, the ACC could mandate that if they chose to honor Florida State's request. Uh, But I like the remote uh, better. And, And we love Atlanta and we love Gary. He's been on the show numerous times. But it also raises the door at potentially doing it in Orlando if Orlando wanted to start a preseason kickoff game. And that way everybody has, you know, a lesser amount to travel to get there. But either way, either way, the neutral game takes care of the home and home issues for Florida State. Yeah, and Orlando and Jacksonville, they could both put efforts together. I mean, Florida State played Ole Miss down in Orlando a few years ago, so they've done the preseason games. Uh, there's not a clean answer on it across the board. Yes, the ACC could flip-flop Miami, but that would hurt Miami's scheduling because they'd lose a home game. Crack your how many fans go to the game jokes now. but So they've scheduled out based on having FSU, and they're selling tickets that way. Florida is not necessarily going to raise their hand and say, oh, we'll give up a home game to, uh, you know, to play this neutral site game because they're selling their season ticket package that way too. So there's, there's not a clean, easy answer on it. It just is what it is, which feels like all of 2020, Keith. <laughs> that, that, that has become the phrase, has it not? Yep. All right, Bob, on the field, amazingly, we're going to start practice this week. I guess we should mention that. Uh, there's a press conference tomorrow. Florida State will get after it uh, starting on Friday. Biggest storyline is always the quarterback. So beyond that, what's the, the next two or three things you're most interested in watching unfold? I say you know, watching. Sure. I don't even know that we're going to be allowed at practice. So, but but what are the two or three things that are drawing your interest? And you know what? If we're not watching on the football practice field, maybe they'll let us stay on the concourse at Dick Hauser Stadium and uh, and kind of you know get out our our binoculars and check it out from there. Uh, definitely watching the offensive line. I think that's that's the one. You know, looking through the roster, I think there's nine offensive linemen who have played you know four games or fewer you know, including newcomers, part of the 2020 class in that group. So we really don't know, are these guys part of the mix, part of the picture as a solution at a, at a certain spot in 2020? Are they developmental for 21 and beyond? But I think offensive line is the big one. And, and of course, the, the fun one is running back. You know, you lose Cam Akers and Kalen Weyburn. Um, I have to think Jay Sean Corbin is the guy who's going to take on, you know, 10, 15 carries a game, but then you've got to, a really talented group of running backs behind them. And, and on defense, I, I think that's really a group where we're going to see a significant step forward across the board. Still looking for the edge rusher who's going to put pressure on the quarterback yet again. Of course, it hasn't really had that since Brian Burns. But I, I think those are some really big storylines. And, and honestly, the, the only other one that's off the field that I think is really um, interesting to me is, is the scheduling from a Coaching staff standpoint, you're now preparing for new opponents. You don't exactly know who you're opening with or who's week two. And I'm very curious, you know, how do you all of a sudden start to break down all kinds of film from last year and and tendencies and look at opponents? So I I know a lot of this is in flux and we're very concerned about COVID and how things play out. But I'm very curious about certain position battles as well as how the schedule shapes out, too. I'm being somewhat facetious because we're we're trying to be a little lighthearted as well. Does anybody know, I'm anxious to see, does our Australian punter punt conventionally or rugby style? That's what I want to see. I'm assuming rugby style. But I've not seen I'm him I'm just punt. asking. 
Yeah, as a, he, he plays Australian rules football. That's kind of how he grew up. So, I, hey, I, I assume rugby style. Um, I'm just we're we're going to find out. Sure. I'm just asking. And does he have a heavy accent? And will all of the uh, ladies fall in love with the accent like, like his, they do? His accent is wonderful. Um, and I think the ladies will, will really fall Good in deal. love with that. Yes. Good deal. <laughs> <laughs> way, way to have uh, an answer to that uh, question, Bob. Uh, well, it starts on Friday. Uh, when it finishes remains the question, but it seems as if the mantra is just plow through until they absolutely can't anymore. I, I hate to put it that way, but it feels like that's where we are on this football front. Everybody's doing their own thing. Every conference is doing it differently. Uh, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, the, the start dates, Bob, you know, a couple conferences are going to the end of September, and I think their theory is there's going to be a huge uh, increase in the number of cases once all their college students, not just athletes, return to campus, and then maybe it'll uh, be reduced by the end of September. But you could argue that either either way, I think. <laughs> you know, whether that's – time will tell. We'll do a better job looking in the rearview mirror as to who made the right call on that. Yeah, everybody is kind of – gone rogue in their decision making we've seen everything from i think the sun belt wants to start labor day weekend to number conferences going september 26 is there a right answer or a wrong answer i think it's all to be determined we're going to see how this plays out it's um it's one of the many questions that that we thought of you know going into the scheduling were conferences going to be able to agree on this clearly they did not but I think they're all going to have to kind of, you know, test the water and see how they can do this. Can they do it safely to keep students and, and coaches and, and support staff safe? Bob, we appreciate your insight as always. Listeners, remember, go to the Osceola.com, check it out, free trial, subscribe, and find out, uh, keep up with what's going on with the Knowles. Appreciate it, sir. Take care, guys. All right, and have a good week. Next week, Keith, I swear we'll finally have a schedule. I mean, we can't kick this too much further down the road. I, at least I don't. My toe hurts. I know, from kicking and kicking again. You should try rugby style. We'll come back more front row knolls right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, thanks to Bob Ferrante for joining us. As always, our Osceola insider, go to theosceola.com for the latest on Florida State Athletics. Keith, I didn't really give you a chance to weigh in on on on-field stuff. So other than the punter, what might you be interested in seeing this fall? Well, obviously, the, you know, the, the, the main topics is quarterback and offensive line and, you know, you know things like how, how does that linebacker group support what should be strong in the defensive line and the defensive backfield. But, but maybe because of my age, because of my longevity, I don't know. But things I am concerned and want to see about, you and I have talked about briefly, are things like, well, how do you, how do you hold your segment meetings? And how do you, you know, how do you, is you're stretching six feet apart, but, you know, obviously offenses don't huddle, but defenses sometimes do, you know, how, how do you work the drills? You know, uh, are coaches really wearing masks and shields for the entire time? Uh, you know, at some point in time, that's going to get to be very uncomfortable. You know, uh, how are you doing the, the trying to keep in the bubble? And I guess the biggest thing, and I mentioned it to you in the uh, in the break, that my biggest frustration of late is is the folks that say that we cannot refer to football players as student athletes anymore because we're asking them to do things that the normal student body isn't doing. In other words, Florida State's players are on campus while Florida State is teaching remotely. Well, that's not new. That's not new. One year when I was playing in the late 70s, we came in on August 15th and school didn't start till the end of September. We played two games before school even began and football players don't get to go home at Thanksgiving and football players that are playing in bowl games are practicing for six or eight or 10 days during winter break. 
And football players that are in big bowl games are not coming back to school when it starts because they're somewhere else another six or eight days playing in a bowl game, playing in a championship game, whether it be the semifinal or the final. They've never been like students. So I, I, I don't like the fact that we've got folks taking advantage of the COVID issue to try to reclassify or unclassify these kids as athletes and students. They are both, regardless, unless and until it changes. It's been a fun year for you, hasn't it, Keith? Well, yes and no. It's been frustrating, but because you're such a kind-hearted person, I'm able to at least get my frustrations out once a week. Yeah, I'm going to send you a counseling bill for this time that we spend together every Wednesday. You can invoice all you want to. Wait and see whether you get paid. Yeah, well, that's always the the catch-22 of that, right? Um, I still am having a hard time wrapping my head around uh, interest isn't the right word. I want to see the football. It's kind of like I feel like uh, I'll believe it when I actually see it. <laughs> when I'm actually at a game and they're playing, then I'll believe that it's happening. Maybe maybe the dates of the schedule will make it a little bit more official. Maybe when we see that Florida State has gone through a couple weeks of practice and we start reading more about the daily position battles uh, and that sort of thing. I do think – I've heard an analogy, Tommy. I heard an analogy. I don't know if it's appropriate, and I don't know if our listeners will think that I'm crazier than I really am. But – When's the last time you were on a bicycle? Well, actually, I have young kids, so we do go on bike rides. So the answer to that question is within the last week. All right. For me, it's been two years. Okay. Now, I'm not ready to get on a bicycle and do a 50-mile trek. But if I had the opportunity to get on a bicycle, I'd be kind of excited about it. I'd be a little nervous about it. But I would hope that once I got on it, at least in a short period of time, I would recover what I remember about bicycle riding when I was 8, 10, or 12 years of age. Maybe that analogy speaks to what we're doing. We've been so up and down. Are we or are we not? How's it going to look? What's it going to be like? What would happen if it's not at all? That once it starts and once we actually see it, maybe we get into the second week, we'll recapture what we remember and be able to go forward with it. At least that's my hope. Yeah, I think it'll come back just like riding a bike, which is the analogy that you're you're outlining there. And then then the worry will turn to, well, how long will we stay this way? So just enjoy the moment as we play these games. I will say this, and we talked about this early on, meaning when we actually had three days of spring practice before COVID shut everything down. I really do like this coaching staff. I mean, I've been impressed with what I've seen from Coach Norvell and the organization, and it's been a – be a, it's a tough spot for any coaching staff, but particularly a new one that's had to come together and get to know one, one another. Uh, you know, a lot of things that you tend to, to hammer out and learn about each other takes time, takes practice, takes meeting sessions, and they haven't had the normal of that. So there's going to be some of those growing pains. But I think everything that we've seen so far has been really positive in terms of the uh, the level of organization and the level of football expertise that's on this staff. And I am happy that they're going to get a chance to at least try to apply that, pass that on yeah. to the players. So I, I really look forward to seeing what that product or what that translates to on the field. I think, and it's it's inevitable that you make the comparison. And of course, uh, Coach Bowden delegated his staff. Most of the members of his staff have been with him a long period of time. He gave them the uh, authority to do what they wanted to do, and he he truly acted as an overseer. Jimbo came in very organized. Uh, some would say, you know, too meddlesome sometimes, had his finger in too much, maybe didn't delegate as much, but certainly had a plan, certainly had an organization. Uh, Coach Taggart comes in, and it was a little more loosey-goosey, not as, you know, at least as Florida State folk had been used to in terms of direct lines and, and organization. and certainly by both what we've seen and by the history of Coach Norvell at both Memphis and Arizona State, you know, very organized, very aware of what needs to be done, very interested in all of the things that touch the athlete's life. Uh, You know, Bob made the comment about now you've got two, three opponents on the schedule that maybe you haven't done as much work for in terms of preparation. I can guarantee you that's already been done. 
even though that schedule's only been out a short period of time. Uh, as soon as it came out, Norville was making assignments, and those that were responsible for certain things were already working on them. Uh, that will not catch them off guard, in my opinion. Maybe not from a timing standpoint, but from an effort and what they need to know standpoint, that will be taken care of. <clears throat> and the other part of it is the development of the players. And we've read stories, uh, seen things about how coaches have mixed up their Zoom meetings, how they've done things differently. We'll certainly see a continuation of that once they get on the practice field. I make the comments about how do you hold practices with masks and all the other things that are associated with social distancing. Well, they'll figure out a way to do that. Uh, same with the meetings. I'm just curious to see how that happens because I'm so old school that, you know, I'm used to going into a meeting and watching the practice tape from uh, the day before and having somebody right in my face fussing at me about what I did wrong and complimenting me about what I did right. I just don't see how that works in a Zoom setting. But, hey, I'm 60-plus years old. What do I know? <laughs> I'm going to start calling you old school. It's, it's apt. It's apropos. We'll just change the name of the show, Front Row Knowles with Tom and Old School. <laughs> I've been called worse by better people, Tommy. I have no doubts. I have no doubts. We'll wrap things up after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you as we finish things up. Thanks, as always, to Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for their longtime support of our program and this station. Go visit Ron and his staff. And, uh, Keith, by the way, I did get back to do-it-yourself projects. I don't know that really counts as a project, but I pulled out the paintbrush again. So by the time we actually can go back to whatever normal becomes, uh, we will have painted the whole house, I think, inside. Anyway. I, am not, I am not calling you Picasso. I don't care how much you lobby me. No, you and nor should you, nor should you. I didn't say I painted it well, just that it's been painted. By the way, are we still under the FCC restrictions from the last time the topic of singing came up? Or are they expired? I don't know. I'm afraid to ask where you're headed with this. Well, you know, we sang happy birthday, what, two years ago, and we got a bad, bad letter from the FCC. They didn't like that over their airwaves. Yeah, I'm not so going to sing. So we're not going to sing this year? No, the, the team sang to, to Leonard yesterday, though, if that's where you're going with this. Yeah, Coach Hamilton had a birthday, yes. All right, well, sorry, Coach Ham. Tom and KJ are not going to be singing for you, but we'll wish you a happy birthday. You missed his fine humor on Twitter, unless you suddenly have signed up for Twitter, which I'm guessing you probably have not. I did not enlighten me and, and, and other three listeners that don't do it as well. He just said celebrating 29 again. <laughs> Well, I've told you the story. When my mom had a birthday, we all went down to Wildwood. Dad was still living. All the, uh, My brother and sister were there, cousins. And uh, I was putting, uh, you know, candles on the cake, and I was getting ready to light them. And mom started taking the candles off, you know, whittling them down. And I said, okay, fine, mom. That's funny. Ha, ha, ha. You're going to go down to 29, and then we're going to all say 29th birthday. And she got to 29, and she looked at me with that West Virginia smile, and she took eight more off. I said, 21? Come on, Mom, 21. Nobody, A, will believe it, and B, it's not funny. She said, it's not a birthday cake. It's an anniversary cake. I'm celebrating the 21st anniversary of my 29th birthday. There you go. There you go. Well, I don't know how many candles were on Jay Leonard's cake, but I know that uh, there's a big gift that could come on Sunday because there's another top uh, basketball fish in that recruiting sea out there, and Florida State already has either the number one or the number two recruiting class uh, stacked up for next year. So uh, he's like wine. It's getting finer with age, as we've talked about previously. 
But uh, this is and for those that impressive. for those that are maybe interested, you know, the NCAA has changed some of the basketball practice rules, and uh, there's some one on one training and some small group training that the basketball team is engaged in that is different than years past in terms of them getting ready for the preseason. Uh, so they they are on campus and working out uh, much like the football team is beginning on Friday. Well, and pretty soon we'll be having the discussion about whether basketball season is going to start on time or if that's going to push. But let's not do that today. Let's just enjoy the fact that football practice starts later this week, Keith. Who's going to be the quarterback? Who's going to be the quarterback? Well, you know, for 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 first blush, I would suggest that we need to process the fact that while we don't we don't know and that there are those of us that are big James Blackman fans and those of us that say, well, he's been given two years and he hasn't improved or performed, there truly will be a quarterback battle. And James will be in the thick of it. But by all indications, and again, we only have three practices, but, you know, Travis is around, Purdy's around, uh, our Valdosta kid is around. I mean, you talk to people. And any of the four, I mean, it's not like they're saying they couldn't play this year or they need another year of development. We may truly have a quarterback battle on our hands, and whoever wins it is not going to be because, you know, we're going to trust him because he knows what he's doing versus we got to live with the mistakes. This staff will be willing to live with the mistakes if the upside's there. Yeah, well, Purdy wasn't here in the spring, but he's the hot name as maybe the most serious contender, and that's sort of where I've been hitched for a while. But I've not yet to see him on the field in Florida State uniform, so that our opinion could change drastically a week from now than what it is right now as they go into it. Uh, I do think it's open. I do think that uh, the offense will be well-coached and well-schemed up to take advantage of whatever strength and weaknesses each player has, starting at the quarterback position. Um, see, that's an excellent of those conversation, Keith. That's you and I can do well, that. And I, and I think we're all going to be pleasantly surprised at the offensive, uh, excuse me, the wide receiver position on offense. Uh, I mean, we know about Terry, but uh, you know, there's some other kids there that that again, when you talk to people with the private workout, seven on seven, whatever the crap we call these things these days, that uh, are really, really talented. Now it changes when you get pads on. I get it. It changes when you start making after-snap reads. I get that, too. But in terms of uh, at least looking good so far, that wide receiver group has a lot of upside. Yeah, no question. Keith, talking football, more fun than not talking football. So let's uh, hope that we continue to head in the right direction next week when we do this again. We'll keep our fingers crossed. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. We don't need no thoughts control.